0: Welcome. Dun, dun, dun. Hello, 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 Rishi. What's going on, Rishi? And welcome, Miranda. Got some other friends coming in. Thank you for joining us and give us just a moment as we Load up the room and ping some people in. What's going on, Kumar? Uh, if you have anybody that would perhaps benefit from hearing this chat, um, feel free to ping them in as well. This is the Spirit Lounge. We are here with Rishi. Rishi, what's going on? How you doing?
1: Hi, Antonio. Looking forward to the conversation today about the spiritual mirror, and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing where this conversation takes us.
0: Fantastic. I think I think it is a good concept, you know, in a world that is always up and down, that um we take a moment to kind of look at our own reflection in this concept of a mirror. So give us just a moment to load up. Oh, we got a bunch of cool friends up in the room. What's going on, Luann? Gina. Um, if you do want to at some point contribute you know feel free to raise your hand or if you have a question we're gonna have some time for that this is the spirit lounge I am here with Rishi he's a monk in the States always a pleasure to have you up here and actually a great opportunity of the modern world it would have been just a hundred years ago very difficult to be able to chit chat with you in such a casual way so super thankful for that and I'm thankful for everybody for coming out um, at the Spirit Lounge, you know, you can head over to the page if you're not already a member and check out some other rooms we've had. Um, or if you've been in these rooms before, you kind of might get the vibe, you know, kind of the routine we're going to go. We got an idea and we want to just break it down and look at it from a few different ways. We're not trying to get it right and a wrong, it's just discussing it. We want to hear some contributions. You know, as always, Rishi's going to be here to give us some of these golden golden bits of knowledge. Um, And we can take this conversation and and make it useful. You know, the the idea is to make it practical, make it useful for our daily life. Um, So head over to the spirit lounge. We got other rooms on replays. Also, this room will be on replay. And at the top here, I got a link for the podcast, which we are just taking those replays and throwing them online. So Spotify, Apple, all that kind of good streaming services. I don't really know much about it, but it's all there. And I'm Putting it all up. I got to put some uh, some of our newer ones up as well. So looks like we've got some friends coming in. Thank you for joining, and um, you know, let's get rocking and rolling with this, Rishi. If you're feeling good, um, as I said, you know, feel free to raise your hand if you have something as the conversation develops. First, we're gonna get into a few topics, and then the the path will kind of open up. Um, and if you have something you want to contribute, feel free to. And if you also want to ask a question towards the end, we'll have some time for that. So Rishi, you know, we got this idea of spiritual mirror and, you know, relating to how we view the world, how we view, how we view life itself. And, you know, in the description, I wrote a bit about that. We may, if we're looking at the world in hate, if we're looking at the world in fighting, if we're looking at the world in negativity, then it seems to come to us all the time. And if we have this other view where we can be with love, if we can look at compassionately things, then it also kind of changes. So I want to dive into this, this idea that our viewing of something can kind of change how it acts. Um, Maybe not so much changing the world, but changing our, how we feel about it and changing what it means inside. This is as usual in the spirit lounge, we're talking about the inner world as opposed to what's just happening in the physical. So on that note of the inner world you know I want to I want to dive in and and dial it back a little bit as a, as we always like to do as well and you know Rishi you have a very unique view and and knowledge set about the world which I've always been fascinated with and I think it's worth you know going over a little bit more um and I and I want to ask you this how can we start to describe the world and and the qualities of the world. We talked about this in many different rooms. And and this has been a a conversation throughout all of time that humans have been involved with. But from your viewpoint, you know, and from your experience, um, how would you go about describing the world, describing the qualities? What is this world? You know, we spoke about dualism before gaining experiences just want to open up the conversation and hear what you have to um you know share with us about what is the world that we're in
1: thank you antonio so it's a good place to start before we go deeper into this concept of the spiritual mirror a lot of times when we look at this world we notice that this world in vedic philosophy is called prakriti and another term that a lot of people use is it's also called the material world or the material universe and this world you can look at as like a field or even a stage where a certain play is happening so on this field or on the stage you have actors there's a certain play that is being played out and you have the audience So it said that the audience is none other than the divine. The stage is this material world and the actors are each one of us that have been given specific roles to play. Now the very qualities of this material world is that everything is constantly changing. Nothing stays the same. So this phone is going to disintegrate in the next 300 years. Um, each one of us, we're going to most likely die in the next hundred years or so. And like that, everything in this world is constantly changing. The only constant of this world is change. The next thing is that this world is a world of duality where good and bad things are constantly happening, pleasure and pain, heat and cold, heat and cold. All of these things are being experienced by us. Nothing is static. Nothing is stagnant. If you look at your own life, your own own world, you see that there are moments in your life where you've been extremely happy, extremely joyful. Things have gone great. Maybe it was when you were in university, right? (laughs) And there have been times in your life where things have gone terrible where nothing you do ever works out. But the interesting thing about this world is that all of the good things that you've done, ultimately they transform, they change, they shift. So it doesn't last, but the nice thing is also all the bad things in your life. It also doesn't last. It's like a pendulum that always moves to the middle, but this world, we can't ever change. At the very core of this world is that it will always be a world of duality. Why? Because only in a world of duality, only in a world of change, can the soul experience what it feels like for a moment in time to, in air quotes, be away from realizing its true self. So only when it experiences duality, does it forget that actually everything is just unified. And if everything is unified, then you can't have this very unique experience of ups and downs of duality of change. So this world is positioned in a way, ironically, to make the Atma or the soul forget its true nature have these experiences of duality and then once again at some point realize its true nature and reconnect to the divine and so that's how i would describe the main qualities of this uh, material world thank you rishi i want to i want to dive a little bit
0: more into that actually because you mentioned this idea of change which i think we can all see you know i think that is totally that can, is, is prevalent in all aspects, even our body, we grow older, you know, we are, we go through adolescence, and then we go through puberty, and then we go through old age, and and everything plants are growing and dying. Um, but at the same time, plants still are around, you know, humans are still around. So they're, they're changing, but they're more like changing form as opposed to um, going away forever. And I think in science, they have this idea of like, energy can never be can only be transformed. It can never be lost. And maybe just a little side question I want to ask is to clarify more that the condition that the soul is in before it gets into this changing space, into this field, into the play that's kind of moving and changing, that it that it wants. The state that it's in before that is not like that. Is it, is it more? You know, everything is everything is always there, so there doesn't need to be a, a change. Well, what do you, how, how would you help us out on that, Rishi?
1: Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's said that in a state the soul is in before it enters the material world, is in a state where it's, it's in a full connection to its divinity. But at some moment, the soul decides to have an experience where it, where it forgets its true self, where it forgets its nature. It willingly decides to forget its true self and enter into this material world to experience duality. So then the question becomes, why would the soul ever want to do that? Why would it willingly forget its nature? Why would it willingly bind itself to this world? And so some of the the reasons, of course, we'll never know till we realize our true self. We can just make observations. Is that the soul, while it, the way that you can look at it is imagine that we, we have a name God, right? So we say God or divine but let's use let's replace that word with love so all there is is love unconditional love but love it cannot be confined it's not finite it's something infinite it's constantly growing so the only way to experience the intensity of this love more and more and more is which way which in which way we intensify love there's only one way to intensify love and that's to have longing right the more and more you long the more and more that intensity of love increases which then um uh, which is the climax of communion right so when two people love each other if they separate from each other for some time and they really love each other there's a longing that happens and that longing breeds intensity and in that intensity when they come together again there is this amazing experience so it's said that who we are our divine state we're constantly wanting to experience more and more and more intense love and so what we do is play a a sort of cosmic hide and go seek right so we hide ourselves in this material world that we've created And then we play this game to find ourselves again. But to play hide and go seek, we need to have a world where we can hide. We need to have components that we can hide into. So in the same way, what happens is that the soul willingly plays this game of hide and seek, where it hides itself from divinity. And then it goes through this whole cycle of birth and death for many, 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 many lives. It plays a really good game of hide and go seek. And then once again, it finds itself. And in that finding of itself, there's a joy. Why would kids play hide-and-go-seek? They're not just like just doing it for no reason. There's an immense joy that happens when you find the person that you are looking for, right? There's like a rejoicing of it. So in the same way, it's said that we're we're going through an eternal spiritual hide-and-go-seek where we hide ourselves from our true nature, we find ourselves again, after extensive longing and then when we come together again there's a beautiful feeling an expression of this love and then we do it again and we do it again and we do it again because love can never be confined so the long there's always even more longing to be had does that make sense a little bit
0: <laughs> wow i love that analogy of cosmic hide and go seek that i'm gonna write that on my wall somewhere <laughs> soon because that is you know what a great way to look at it that sometimes in, in certain views and and we're getting a little bit into the world at first and, and that's the topic of tonight the world view is in some you know in some spiritual past we're like cast into this world as a punishment and in this view that you're sharing, that's why I always love speaking with you and hearing what you have to say is, is it has this lightheartedness that even though there is the troubles, you know, you're playing hide and go seek and you can't find that person. You can't find him. You looked everywhere. You look twice in the same spot and it just doesn't seem like they're there. And there could be this kind of sense of suffering or like, wow, what if they were actually lost? And what if I couldn't actually find them? And then you do find them and, and it and it kind of brings it together into this um, a joyful moment as opposed to like a, a a suffering or a trial that that I that I've experienced seeing in, in other um, views throughout time. And so I really do like that. And I think it you know, to tie it into this analogy of the stage, which we've also used before and and you mentioned here, and I guess in that regard, my question would be, you know, we got the world that's that's changing and these souls are coming in. We want to get the experience to go play hide and go seek, to lose ourselves and then realize who we were the whole time. And and I guess, you know, as the world is doing this changing and going through ups and downs, um in, in our personal lives, we're going through ups and downs, the country is going through ups and downs, the whole world is going through ups and downs, the cosmos, the galaxies are going through this. And and I guess to bring it on to a little personal level, you know, Rishi, in this example of, of a play, if, if the audience is the divine, what is kind of our position in, in this play? Or, or how do we, you know, some people may be contributing to the world, some people may be trying to innovate, but some people may also just be helping it move along, just participating, and maybe others are only there to observe things and learn through observation. So there's a lot of different ways to engage with the world. And I think I think if we can, you know, get into this topic about how we engage with the world as well. I think it's going to make sense when we get to the mirror aspect of it. So Rishi, what would you say about kind of our position and, and, you know, as individuals and participating with life? What is our position in all this that the world is moving, but our individual ones?
1: Yeah, it's um, you know a lot of times when we look at science, we see that uh, scientists do a um, a um, what what do you call it Um, a scientific test, whatever we want to say, and so when you're doing this science scientific uh, experiment, Mm -hmm. when you're doing an experiment what happens is that when you're doing the experiment, what what do you become? You become an observer, right? So you're looking at an experiment as it's happening, you're outside of the experiment, you become the observer, and then you take down notes as you see see what is going on. And through that, you then make certain hypotheses, And that's great. But when we try and figure out the workings of this universe using that method, it's never going to work. Because to use the scientific method, you have to become an observer of what you are uh, looking at. But how can a scientist, how can a human become an observer of the universe? They They have to be outside of the universe, right? So in that way, we are actually literally part of the experiment that we are trying to understand. And everything that we do is then changing the hypothesis that we are trying to create. Right? Every time we observe the universe, every time we even make a small gesture, it's already polluting that what we are trying to observe because we are in the very thing that we are trying to understand. And so, when we when we when we realize that what we see is that the only way to understand the entirety of the universe is to understand ourselves because even the the distance between atoms are the distances between planets, right? Relatively speaking. And so when we start to understand who we are, we understand the entire fabric of this universe. So nobody plays a small role. Nobody plays like a small role and somebody else plays a big role. Actually, we all of us are playing a very unique role in this universe. Everything that we do has a cosmic impact on what we are observing. And so this entire world is this cosmic hide-and-go-seek and and every single person has a very unique role in it. And if you want to understand this world, then you have to go within yourself and understand yourself. If you try and understand this world as a scientist would understand an experiment, It's not going to happen because you are in the very thing that you are trying to understand
0: that yeah that makes total sense and and um you know i mentioned before this experiment speaking of scientists with this exact same thing where they were it's called the slit hole test and this is kind of the introduction to quantum physics in the last um this is maybe less than 30 years ago um where they had this idea that they were trying to observe something they were doing an experiment and they shot particles through a little hole in a in a material in a paper let's say they had a hole and they shot these particles in a straight line and when they shot it through they on the back side there was another paper they found that it was making a pattern like a wave like a ripple in the in the water when you throw a rock they said what's going on here we don't know what's happening why would it not become a straight line let's observe it And they threw a camera in there. And and by when they observed the experiment happening, they put a camera to see the moment that the particle went from a straight line and started acting like a wave, as opposed to a ray like a light. When they observed it, it went back to being a straight line. And this was a moment in science where they just said, we don't know what that means. How, how does our observation of something change how it's acting? And I, I'm really glad you brought that up, Rishi, because in this idea of our worldview, you know, the spiritual mirror is kind of how we look at the world is, is how we is what we see in the world, that the world is really the same thing. The world is not different for um, my world and your world and Kumar's world and Luann's world. We're all in the same place but all of our different views and all the different mirrors that we use to kind of view the same thing can impact how we can, how we view it. So, um, you know, I want to add, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Rishi. Does it, is it true or, or kind of what are some advice we can, we can start to think about of our, does our worldview impact kind of our joy, our ability to continue living? If I see the world as, as a trap, as a, a place that I'm going to be hurt at, if I see the world as evil, you know, does that, um, does that affect how I act, how I live, how I keep moving? And, and, you know, how does, you know, basically how does this impact of looking through our own mirror, through our own progress, affect the world that we see?
1: Well, you know, a lot of times, imagine uh, you're growing up and you're in high school and somebody asks you, what do you want? What do you want to accomplish? Most of the time people are going to say they either want to be rich or they want to be famous. 99% of people that you ask in this world, they're either going to say, "I I want to be rich or I want to be famous. That's what most kids in high school will say, that's what most adults will say also, but what do we know of this world? What percentage of people are actually rich or famous? Maybe 1%, maybe less than 1%, let's say 1%. So 99% of people want to be rich and famous, but only 1% are rich and famous. So what that goes to show is that 99, 98% of us will never achieve what we want to in this world. Even before we start, we're already behind the eight ball. There's so many variables that would need to go correct for you to achieve that goal that you want. So 98% of us in this world never reach what we aspire to reach. But now let's look at it in a different way. Let's say that your father was Bill Gates. If your father is Bill Gates, then, if, then the probability of you becoming rich increases exponentially, right? So even though only 1% of the world can be rich or famous, if your father is Bill Gates, your probability of being rich is going to be exponentially greater than the people around you. If your father is Will Smith, your probability of being famous is going to be exponentially greater than the people around you. So if you have somebody rich, if you know somebody rich, or if you know somebody famous, it becomes much easier to achieve, which is almost impossible for the rest of the world. Now let's take that same type of understanding and apply it to the spiritual world. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, who is an avatar states that one in a million in a million in a million might attain enlightenment in this life right? So the probability of attaining enlightenment is the same probability of being famous or rich, almost none, comparing it to the whole world. But if you have a teaching, if you're around a teacher, if you have a mantra, if you have a practice, that probability increases exponentially. So for everyone, it might be very difficult, but if you're lucky enough to have a practice, to have a teacher, to have a knowledge set, then attaining that becomes very, 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 very easy, right? So in the same way, when we talk about your question, it's about how do we view the world? If we view the world from a material perspective, then the things that we want might be very difficult to gain. But if we look at the world from a spiritual perspective, and if we make a sincere effort, there's always a possibility to gain that knowledge which is going to exponentially make your life much more uh, at peace and much more purposeful and much more meaningful than most other people in this world. Right? So even the blessing to be here, to listen to this, to want to surround yourself to, to spiritual conversations, already you have a grace that 99% of people in this world will never have. So I, I would state that for now. Beautiful, Rishi, and
0: and you know it takes time to kind of get to that understanding, and 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 in the world, you know, where we're thrown into the to the to the media, to the culture, and all these things we think we need, and all these things that we think the world, the way the world works, and the way the world is, you know, what we base our happiness and and our joy on, and we've spoken about this at length in other rooms, these expectations we may have of the world that oh, you know, even even for myself, like oh. I thought I needed to be a chef. I thought now I needed to be a licensed architect. And that once I got that, I would be totally happy. That once I get this thing, now the world shapes up. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna be, you know, walking on rainbows when I go down the sidewalk. And and then actually I failed all seven tests in a row. <laughs> and then I didn't get that. And I had to think like, did the world change? Did was my own perception this kind of thing that I desired? was that what was holding me back? And, and, you know, I want to ask also in particular, you have a very unique view as a monk, you know, you have no possessions. You're not, you're not sitting here trying to go buy a new mortgage and, and, and ride three cars at the same time. Yeah. Every time I'm, <laughs> I'm with you, you're, you're very happy. You're very pleasant. You're very filled with joy. And, and I would, you know, and this is maybe something that, that gets glossed over, but do you feel, um, because you're not participating in these general expectations like having some money having a successful job having the the house with the white picket fence and a dog having an exotic dog actually that humans had to breed themselves um you know but yet you're still super joyful and someone in a position as a monk can can still adopt a view of the world that the world didn't change you didn't stop money from happening you didn't stop capitalism But it was on the inside, Rishi, you know, and could you speak to us a little bit about that, about coming from a place like that with with no possessions, with being okay with what comes and what goes? I think that's a very unique view that that is worth um, diving into in this topic, if you're cool with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like what you said, riding three cars at the same time. I don't know (laughs) if I have the capability of doing that yet, but uh, I like that. Um, and also, you know, for those of you listening, if you have any questions, uh, if you want to come up and, and ask, uh, feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to ha- have you up on stage as well. So, the, you, know, you know, what you said, what's really important for us to um, understand is that as a monk, it's not that I um, don't have any desires. That's important. It's about how we are looking at desires. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So, for example, I have my spiritual teacher, my master, and he likes many things. He likes spicy food. He might like a scary movie. Uh, He might like Mauritian food. Uh, He might like this or he might like that. He has certain preferences, right? In the same way, I have certain preferences. I like a New York slice of pizza. I like Takis from Mexico, right? These are preferences that I have. It's not that I'm all of a sudden now a monk and I don't have any preferences. I still like certain things, but now there's a big difference. And let's look at the analogy of a boy and its mother. Okay, so imagine um, in their house, there's 10 types of cereals that they have, 10 boxes of cereal. And the boy really, really loves Froot Loops. Okay, loves Froot Loops. The boy comes down in the morning, looks at the 10 boxes of cereal and does not see Froot Loops. The moment he doesn't see Froot Loops, what happens? He starts to get angry. He starts to get frustrated. He starts to get mad. Ah, I don't have Froot Loops. Even though there's 10 other options, he really wants Fruit Loops. Now the mother comes down. The mother also loves Fruit Loops. But when the mother sees Fruit Loops is not available, she just goes and picks another flavor and eats it. So even though she has a preference for Fruit Loops, if the preference isn't there, she's not gonna get angry, she's not gonna get mad. So this is called a non-binding desire. A non-binding desire is a preference that we have for certain things, but if we don't get it, we're not going to be angry, okay? And so I have a really good example. I was telling this story of, of binding and non-binding desires. And for the boy, the Fruit Loops becomes a binding desire, right? So the boy doesn't get the Fruit Loops, he's going to be very, very angry. But for the mother, Fruit Loops is a non-binding desire. She likes it, she wants it, but doesn't care if she has it or not. So for two people, one thing can be either binding or non-binding. So I'm telling this story in Mexico, I was just in Mexico and I was telling this story and I was just joking like, you know, I really like Takis, but Takis is a non-binding desire for me. If I have it or not, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to get angry about it. right? But I really like Takis. So I said this in the first talk. And I had about two or three other talks and every talk people would come and they would bring bags of Takis for me. (laughs) So by the end of the talk, it was in Puerto Vallarta, by the end of the three talks in Puerto Vallarta, I must've had about 50 bags of Takis, right? And it's like, I'm creating like this horde of Takis. And then we go to Guadalajara, which is about four or five hours away. And I'm staying at one of the devotees house. Her name is Shanta, it doesn't matter, but just for the story. And so we go to Shanta's house and um, I'm not staying with Shanta that night. I'm staying at another devotee's house. But I told Shanta, uh, please keep the takis here. Uh, tomorrow, you know, we can eat them. And she said, yeah, no problem. I'm having some guests over tonight, but tomorrow we can eat takis. So I said, Cool woke up in the morning, I went over to Shanta's. I had given like a bunch of talks. I've done a lot of fire ceremonies. I'm super hungry. And I go to Shanta, I said, hey, where are those Takis Adams? Really, really hungry. And Shanta says, oh, you know, last night I had people over and they saw the bags of Takis and they liked it. And we finished all of your Takis. <laughs> so in this moment, What do you think? You think Takis was a binding desire or a non-binding
0: desire? Hopefully non-binding, I guess.
1: Yeah, you would you would hope. You would hope. But for me, no, it was a binding desire. Mm. I was like frustrated, like, ah, I was really looking forward to Takis. Now I don't have any Takis. And it affected my mood. It affected my um space. It affected how I interacted. So in that moment, it was like a divine testing me, like, oh, you think Takis is non-binding for you? Okay, let's see what, when I do this, what happens? And then I realized that Takis was a binding desire, yeah? And so what we see about this in life is that you could have a million non-binding desires. All it takes is one binding desire to make you sad. make you depressed to make you anxious to throw you off your space so the whole spiritual journey is not about not enjoying enjoy the world love everything that this world has to offer fully go into it because you are the experiencer right you are inside of this universe you are everything that you are experiencing it's meant for you to enjoy the game of hide and go seek it's not for you to to suffer the whole time you're playing hide and go seek. But at the same time, understand that everything is fleeting. Everything comes and goes. Don't bind yourself to anything. So the whole spiritual path is about transforming our binding desires to non-binding desires. So we can have fun. We can play this game. But if it doesn't go according to our understanding, then we're not going to speak uh miserable about it right so that's how i would uh look at this world and how we can engage with this world and also i'm just kidding about the takis I, I wanted to prove a, a <laughs> point. I, I, it's not a binding desire for me you know after being 12 years as a monk if takis is a binding desire then i have some problems <laughs> in, in what i'm doing i just wanted to give you an example
0: no i think that's a beautiful example rishi and thank you for that and i and i really do enjoy that distinction that this, you know, a a life of devotion is not just cut off everything in the world, but understanding how and the responsibility is included when we accept things of the world, whether we accept them a lot, a little bit, you know, and and as you pointed out, a binding one means we've we really want to accept these things of the world. A Nine bonding one is like, Okay, I can I can let it go. I'm here for something greater than just the Takis, you know, I'm here, I'm here for for a bigger experience, for a greater understanding. And this one little thing that made me happier, that made the world seem nice, a pleasantry I had, you know, is not the reason I'm on the earth. It's just well, a portion of it. I yes, would say,
1: I would say that, and also, I would say a binding desire is when you are attached to it, right? When you have certain attachment to it. And if you don't have it or things don't go accordingly, you're going to experience some type of negativity inside of you. I I would even go as far as saying, it's not when you don't have binding desires, it's not that you look at the Takis and you think there's something greater to be experienced, but you experience the fullness of everything that the universe has to experience within the Takis. So the Takis doesn't become just something limited. But if, you, it's, if it's non-binding, if you look at a master, they'll enjoy a bag of Takis just as much as they'll enjoy speaking to a million people. Because for them, there is no difference. It's just another experience to be had. Right? So we shouldn't put a hierarchy, but understand even the smallest things can be a cosmic experience when we are not binded to it. It can be enjoyed fully if we're not attached to it.
0: Yeah. Mm, beautiful distinction, Rishi. And i that's a great imagery in my head now of the Takis. And I want to I thank you, Rishi, for being up here, you know, being receptive to my questions and, and allowing us to dive into some of this knowledge. I want to thank everybody for coming out so far. You know, this is the Spirit Lounge. As I said, I got Rishi up on stage. He is a monk in the States. If anything he says you want to reach out you know feel free he got his info on his page Um, and also if you want to head over to the spirit lounge and find out when we got new rooms coming up Um, rishi will be doing some traveling so we're going to have a little bit of a break but we're trying to keep it regular around once a week you know every now and then we get uh we get some time in between as the world the changing world comes to us so feel free to head over to the spirit lounge got the link up at the top For um, podcasts if you want to stream any of these and replays are on so you could also share it with friends share um, even replay slower I know I've I've been listening to these recordings back at a slower pace to kind of digest what gets shared but we do got some friends up on stage and I want to I want to link up with them I want to also invite anybody if you have anything you want to contribute you know even some questions about this idea that we're talking about the spiritual mirror our worldview being changed by our internal view of of how we see the world, and since we got Karen up on stage, always a pleasure to have you here. I want to ask you, you know, this question about about has, and I think we could all we could all contribute. I could definitely answer this one as well. Has Karen your worldview kind of adjusted and changed um, as you've grown on the spiritual path? You know, when you were young to w- where you are now, have you noticed that? the world started to look different because physically, well, I guess there is like technological change, but the world is more or less the same place. But has your view, Karen, kind of adjusted or grown or developed as your, um, as your spiritual experience has developed?
2: That would be a definite yes. And I think after so many attempts at the a- quote achieving happiness through things that were external to me and seeing how it either didn't last or it didn't work and i was kind of disempowering myself by putting by putting the reasons for being happy outside myself i finally stopped and um, it took you know it took some considerable suffering to get there, but it was definitely worth it to get there. One of the ways that I studied life was I started collecting quotes, and I started with you know some of the Greek and Roman quotes, and then I just started all kinds of things, and it kind of helped me to see that there have been enlightened people forever, and there have been wars and strife forever. And the Greek philosopher Epictetus said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. But my, I would say, Rishi, right now my biggest question is, is, is wanting to see peace, is wanting there to not be war, is that a binding
1: desire? It could be a binding desire if it's, if, if it's not that wanting to see peace is a bad thing. Of course, we all want to see peace, but if peace does not happen in the way that you expect it to happen and you start to get angry or there starts to be certain negative emotions that arise, then of course that can become a binding desire because ultimately, yes, peace is what we all want but what do we also know about this world? It's a world of duality. This In this world, it will never be perfect, and it was never designed to be perfect. Because the moment this world becomes perfect, then what is, the, what is the purpose of this world? We can't have duality. So every time there's duality, it's a reminder like, hey, this is just a moment in time. This is just a game. But it's not reality. It's not eternality, if you will. So there is a... a delicate balance we have to play, where we have to strive to pray, we have to strive to uplift consciousness, we have to strive to be positive. But even after doing everything that we, have, that we can do in our power, if it does not go the way that we expect, then there has to be a certain acceptance of the will of the divine, that the will of the divine wills it, that this has to happen in this way, and duality has to present itself in this way. And if you have an acceptance, then it's a non-binding desire. But if you cannot accept it, then it, of course, will become a binding desire. Does that make sense, Karen? Or do you have a follow-up on that?
2: No, I I would say it makes sense. And as as I'm watching very closely some of the events that are happening right now in the world, um, I'm also seeing very positive things coming out of it. Um, like more shared responsibility uh, about what's happening from many countries. And I guess that could also happen at a personal level when we look at each other and say, how can I help you? I can see your suffering. What can I do to assist you and not just, oh, I have to hold on to everything I have. Um, one of the yeah. thoughts that came to me when I was listening to you in the beginning was, it, it, I mean, the classic example of the, the glass being half full or half empty. You know, it's the same glass. It's the same amount of liquid in the glass. It's just what, what changes is what I see when I look at it.
1: Yes, it's important that, you know, we should not be complacent. That is a very important, it's, it's a very fine line we have to balance between complacency and acceptance, right? We have to try our best to uplift this world in whatever tools and whatever ways that we can. It's not that we should just sit at home and not do anything, right? Prayer, opportunities that you might have connection, anything that you can to help you must do. That is your Dharma. That is your duty to uplift. But at some point there has to be that understanding and acceptance. Okay. I've done my best and I'm not going to let the dualistic world affect my mindset where I go into negativity. When it's not going in the way that I want it to go. Because ultimately, if we've done our best, there also comes a certain acceptance, like, okay, if this is how it's supposed to happen, then let it happen this way. You know, grieve. Grief is a natural grieving is a natural process, experiencing uh, uh experiencing grief, experiencing loss. These are all things that we should not be robots. If you have to grieve, grieve. If you feel pain for the people suffering. Feel pain, right? It's not that you should not feel those things, but uh, have these experiences from higher understanding, not from lower understanding. You can experience grief and give space for that. And then you can then move on from that space where you rise. Some people experience grief and they go into the negativity and they go into the darkness and they can't come up. So in that way, it's good to experience all that this life has to offer. Even my master, you know, I've seen him cry many times. He's shed tears when people have, have passed away, things have happened. So it's not that he's uh, bare fit of emotions, but he doesn't let those emotions control him and bring him down. He experiences the emotions for what they are, then he moves forward with whatever service he has to do with this in this life. So that's, that's an important distinction to make. Thank you.
2: Thank you, that's very helpful.
0: Thank you Karen for your question. And um, as always, you know, thank you for being present up here at the Spirit Lounge. Majida, we also got you up here. And anyone else, you know, if you want to raise your hand and come up, even have a question, feel free to. And Majida, you know, I want to ask you in a similar way. Has Has your view on the world changed, you know, since you were younger till now or... Um, developed as your spiritual view has developed, and how has that maybe helped you out? Um, as, as we can grow our spiritual, you know, worldview. Uh, the mic is yours, and we'd like to hear what you got to say.
3: Hello, greetings, namaskar. Firstly, I wanted to just have a heartfelt hug and greetings to uh, my brother Rishi. I haven't been on Clubhouse for a very long time. And it was just joyful uh, now it's four, at 4am 4 I was just, um, I had a long night with a lot of women on this women's day um, event and I came home and was having some silent time before I went to sleep. I saw that Rishi was on, I was thinking, oh my God, it's been a long time. Maybe I will join Clubhouse just to listen a bit. And I, um, it was the last thing that vibrated. I, w- I wish to um, resonate with. But to uh, first uh, um, respect to the question you asked. Um, I feel that change is uh, constant and it would be unrealistic of me to say that um, my life has not changed since I was a child. The plant changes from the time that's in, in the earth, and then it blooms, and it comes and it has leaves, and then a flower. I, I see no difference between myself and all the other um, complete, all constantly expanding and transforming eternal existence that we are all part of. Um, I. Was, has always been uh, drawn to mysticism and poetry. And it has been a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. and It's like an artistic journey. Sometimes it's darker colours, and sometimes it's brighter colours and, and, and my way of wording it, and yet it's there's many ways to roam. I, I, it it's less uh, mental activity, you know what um, And though I understand my heart understands and what you mean when you're talking about binding and unbinding, for me it's some um, um, different cultural approach, a so different roads to Rome and the simpler way I see it is uh, like the example um, the brother Rishi gave about um, the, the mother, um, it is uh, about this uh, love, this wish to uh, um, just th- be present in the essence and be uh, uh, welcoming what is he- here now and from there make a choice to bloom on, to flow with the river as opposed to resist it. And, and I feel that uh, I, like probably all of you, with the growing of ages, realized that a certain amount of energy was exercised in a way that was a bit of a waste in terms of something that already is saying, Oh, why isn't it not like, like I want it to be, which is kind of senseless, really, when we're being real with it, you know, what is, is and what happened, happened. Now the the cake was eaten. I wanted a cake. It's not there now. And the beauty of for me, and I look for um, our Karen who loves coats, matisse says, there's flowers everywhere for those who care to see, is that we have a choice. This is what is here now. The cake that I came to want to take has been eaten. And now my choice, do I choose peace and flowing or do I want to resist? And this journey to learn to flow for me has been my journey. I believe it's the journey of our incarnation and it sometimes takes as much more resistance and within the resistance, great creative art is made. So I don't believe in wrongs and rights. I feel that uh, we're all journeying in different ways to create this humongous canvas we are on. And today, especially because there is this collective energy celebrating Women's Rights Day, I call it more women's celebration, I would take it even deeper call it um, honoring the mother because we all come from a mother and event and even more deeper, we are all, all children of our Mother Earth. And in this unity space, there is no division. And therefore, resistance is just um, um, an activity for the mind. So the the when we're in that, choose that phase of okay, this is what is, and I can step forward left or right, but I can not undo what is, I can complain about it. What choices do I make? When one sees it simply like that, then the choice of I'll complain about it, or I'll resist it, and or this, this makes sense, or is this if not self nourishing and like the mother? one's wish deeper is to nourish oneself and even more joy nourish the other, especially if it's a child. Um, And that's for me what this Mother's Day or Women's Day means to remember that we're here to balance and balance is just to flow, to uh, see, use this amazing, divine, creative, option of choice that we have to flow and discover and one and appreciate the wonder the gratitude all these supposedly high frequency words It doesn't have to understand what frequency is you take my grandmother in the village in the middle of nowhere in Ethiopia, she never knew words like binding and binding frequencies or this but she was just very real and my greatest teacher, she had gratitude for everything. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with the lady, somebody died, she says, Alhamdulillah, you know, somebody's sick, whatever happened, she was sort of having gratitude. And it didn't make sense to me when I was young, but it was the best watering this earthly being of mine had, because at one point, it just dawned like it's common sense there. There's no lotus without mud. Um, Yeah, so I and that's kind of the what the energy that Rishi reminds us and sometimes in this hectic lives of modern living and accumulating stuff that become imaginary needs, we get lost and it's just wonderful when someone just reminds us of what is for all of us real, real in our hearts and and can spark open or not, depending on how already we are. So I really, really feel a lot of um, gratitude. That's the space I'm by I live with. And I wanted to express that to Rishi for being such a mother. So yeah, I just wanted to share that and um, in a way answer your question. I appreciate Karen's love for coats there. Oh, so wonderful, and especially just um, say hello and my greetings to what I love about Clubhouse is uh, what you share, Richie and Ella with her meditation rooms, and all this coming back to the inner sense of it. And it's really simple, sometimes comprehensive attitudes, and not this and that makes it. A bit complex, and for a certain minds, that's easier. But if we just come back to simply what it is and how do I want to flow on, as opposed to what are the other options, it makes it for me anyway much simpler. So, thank you for sharing the spaces and creating this open questionings to flow towards that because there's really nowhere else to go. I am Maji from Paris, ready for my body, asking for some sleep and really happy that I got to hear you, my brother Rishi, and sending love
1: to all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Majida. That was a beautiful share. Much love. Hope to connect again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Majidah.
0: And got some new friends up on stage. Malabika, you did find the mute button. Thank you for that. Um, Layla, Malabika, and Brittany, I wanna ask you a similar question, but first Karen, you know, you brought up this idea of peace and it's something that I struggle with as a youth that when I was first kind of coming onto the path before I even knew I was spiritual, I was researching a bunch of, quote, unquote, conspiracy realists or um, theories, as they say. And I got really angry at the world and I was so sad and everything looked evil. And it was I saw all the the underbelly of what's going on. and And I thought that peace had to happen when all that was destroyed or when something in the world changed and not until maybe two years ago or less that did I realize that I was going to bring my peace that the peace was inside of me inside of my heart, because I didn't have to control the world and change this thing. And that thing that I thought would make it better or worse. And and what if the things that I thought could fix the world ended up making a bigger problem later, you know, so I think that idea of peace, And I'm glad you brought it up, kind of our perception of what peace actually is. Um, It's just, it's a very difficult concept that we deal with throughout time and and over time, our understanding of it grows and morphs. So thank you for bringing that up. Majida, also thank you for um, sharing. Layla. we do want to ask if you have uh, a little short share or if you had a question you'd like to, um, you know, present to the stage, you got some moments with the mic.
2: Thank you, Antonio. Hi, Rishi. I miss the om chantings in New York very much. Um, I don't have a share, but I do have a question, and it is pretty brief. Uh, Earlier, Rishi was talking about desires and binding and unbinding desires. And my question's not specific to binding or unbinding, but my question is about using visualization to reach attainment of desires. Is there anything written in, in spiritual texts or anything in your experience that shows that visualization is a good tool or how to use it
1: um, or just scrap it altogether?
2: And that's it for me.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And it was, I, I also miss the om chantings in New York City. I was telling Antonio I'll be planning to come I think the dates are confirmed. It'll be May 7th through the 13th. I'll be in New York and we're going to try and do some om chantings and uh, we'll also do some fire ceremonies. So it'll be really nice. And there'll be more information about it in the coming weeks as we do the the event. So if you're living in New York City and um, you would like to maybe host an event or help to organize an event, Uh, please do reach out. Uh, Any type of save our service would be definitely um, appreciated. So thank you. Uh, In regards to what you said, the mind is extremely powerful. And the mind has the ability to acquire that which it desires. So there are infinite amount of books that teach visualization techniques. Uh, There's even books such as The Secret where it talks about the power of the mind and visualizing what you want and then you gain it and all of these things are are there it's it's not that they don't work so even visualization will work but the question becomes when you visualize and you gain something that you desire what is the natural next outcome that you're going to we're going to come across The moment you get that Lamborghini that you desire, you're going to want another Lamborghini, another Lamborghini, and another Lamborghini. The moment you get to visualize techniques, um, a new husband or whatever it might be, you're always going to want something else. So even though the mind has the ability to satisfy and gratify our desires, the question becomes, is that really the point of life? Is the point of life to gratify desires or it's a point of life to understand who you are, who are you truly. So you can use visualized techniques to do these things, but I would recommend that if you do it, it might just bind you more to this world because it's not like many people think If if I make $10 million, then I'll be ready to become spiritual, right? Or when my kids grow up, I'll become spiritual. When you make $10 million, you'll be so entangled with the world that you're never going to find the time to be spiritual. You're going to then try and figure out how to make more money or do something else. The moment your kids grow up, you're going to be so entangled that the next in line will be the grandkids. So you'll never have time. So in that way, yes, all of these things work, but really understand what do you want? You want to continue the game of gratifying desires, or you want to get to a point where If you gain something great, if you get something great, if you don't get something, also no problem. But you're you're trying to gain something higher, which is spiritual knowledge, which is understanding of who you are. So use the power of the mind to rise in consciousness. Don't waste it on trying to gain things of this world that you desire. Because the moment you gain it, you'll get a hit of dopamine, but you'll always end up wanting more and more and more. So I hope that answered your question.
0: Thank you, Layla. And, um, and thank you, Rishi, for your response as well. And moving right along, Malabika, we do got you up here. Thank you for joining the Spirit Lounge. Um, and wanted to know if you had a question or a quick little share that you'd like to give to us.
4: I do have a question. Thank you so much. Hello, Antonio. Hi, Rishi. Um, it's such a pleasure listening to you. So my question is this, that, um, you know, relating to some of the other speakers earlier is that, you know, as you're doing life, and you are always doing and learning to do more and better, like the world expects you, and then you learn that, well, uh, you know, turn in words, um, get to know yourself. And I as I look back in my life, I see that there was a You know, there was a time there was a high degree of motivation and learning new things and learn the law of attraction and manifest this. And I manifested some amazing things in my life. And then you come to the realization, you know, there is just you. So no need to run after anybody or anything. Um, What you need will come to you so just chill and be in a good space hold high vibrations love and uh, do what what is you know what you need to do but you know there is no none of this uh, uh, i got to do something as time goes on i find what is happening more and more is this um, this binding desires are becoming less and less, and sometimes I will spend days, not really having done much. And then there is this old idea that comes, that tells me that, "Am I wasting my time? What am I doing here? Am I being useful to the world, uh, or am I just occupying space?" So, um, then you know something will happen for a while, and I'll get very enthused and participate. And then, after a while, that fades away. So I'm kind of curious to know, is this how life eventually tells you you're done with life? It's time to say goodbye. Is this the process, or am I just you know, taking a pause here, trying to figure out the next part of life?
1: Thank you, Malabika, you know. So to let go of binding desires, that's beautiful. So you let go of material desires. That's one phase of life. But at the same time, you have to be wary of becoming complacent, where you say to yourself, okay, I don't have any more desires. But at the same time, what do I do now? Do I just wait for that to come to me? And so here we make a distinction between material desire and spiritual longing okay there's a very big difference between material desire and spiritual longing material desire is when we are still actively trying to gain things of this world but we have to replace that not with just stagnancy but spiritual longing so spiritual longing is this desire is this an aspect of you that still wants to play the game of hide and go seek right because you still have to find yourself. You can't just sit there and say, you know what, I'm not gonna play this game anymore. The 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 way this world works is that divinity is like, hey, um, you know, play the game, find me. Yes, sometimes I do agree. What happens is when you sit down, you say, I'm not gonna play this anymore, what happens? The person says, Okay, here I am, the game is over. So that that is there. But There is this idea of spiritual longing where you should long to realize who you are but when you long it's different because in that longing you are actively trying to realize who you are but then at the same time you're not getting angry you're not getting mad you're not getting sad or depressed if things don't work out the way that you want them to right because with material desires when you're binded to them when the outcomes don't work out in your favor, of course you're going to react negatively. But in spiritual longing, you're longing to realize who you are, but you're also accepting the will of the divine, that the divine is going to reveal itself accordingly to divine will, right? So in that way, you play your game, you move forward with life, but you should have a longing to realize your true nature. That should still be there. You shouldn't become complacent. So, I, I would just um, add that particular point to your question. So, thank you.
0: Thank you, Malabika. And, oh, yeah, Jeff, something else you want to say?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, um, Rishi. Um, and, you know, what happens if the longing feels kind of sated for now? Then you slowly fade away, I guess. That's what it is. I mean. This idea of don't be complacent. I'm not sure i can tell the fine line between complacency and uh,
1: surrender well surrender is a very long time away (laughs) we're all trying to get to the point of surrender but that's a whole nother reality the moment you surrender that's the moment to realize yourself we're striving towards surrender so what we should do is we should actively try to long to realize ourselves so where did how does this longing look from a very practical standpoint. Is there a, a longing to serve, right? Is there a longing to serve others, to be of service in some way or another? That's a good indicator. If that service, if the longing is there, then you know the, the fire is lit. Is there a longing there to do your spiritual practices? If that's there, then you know the fire is lit. So I would look at those things. Do you still have this longing to serve and do you still have this longing to, to your practices. If you do, then you're in a good place. But if those longings aren't there, then I would encourage you to, you know, look at your life and reevaluate and maybe see ways where you can um, reignite this longing to realize who you are. Yeah. So I would say that would be my um, small little advice. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you everybody for coming up. We
0: do got two more friends up on the stage. I want to leave a little bit of time for. Um, again, this is the Spirit Lounge. We're up here with Rishi. He's been dropping a lot of good books on us as well as good advice. He is a monk in the States. Feel free to reach out to him on his Instagram. And as you said, if you are in New York and you want to help plan some stuff, um, this second week of May, we're going to try to have a few events. Get out of to the Spirit Lounge and find out when the next room is. But for now, Brittany got you up on stage and you know, would like to hear if you have a short share about how maybe your worldview has changed as your spiritual view has grown, or even a question or a short little comment that you have. Brittany, the mic is all yours.
5: Greetings everyone. Thank you all for hosting. The room, Antonio and Reishi. Yes, my worldview, my worldly view has changed drastically since I am evolving on my spiritual journey. Um, I'm moving from, I do have things that I desire, don't get me wrong, but thank you for the binary and the non binary um comparison because i am a mom i do have a four-year-old son and when there's not specific french fries in the refrigerator of course he uh, doesn't want to eat anything at all um so that also goes with me I used to think that I wanted a big luxury home and this and that, but the older I get, the more I'm like, no, I think I want to do, no, not think. I know that I want to do homesteading and become more self-sustainable, not just because of the times that we're living in, but because I am realizing what brings me happiness, peace, and joy. Right. Um, And of course I'm still on that road to discovery. So I no longer feel myself binded or I I can see getting away from feeling binded by the worldly pleasures. I don't need a luxury car. I'll do good with a cash car. Um, But I do have a question. Um, And this goes with everything everyone was saying along with Leija, thank you for that um, comment about visualizing the desires. that's something that I actually did this morning. However, I'm just not concerned about possessions as desires. Reishi, my question for you is, how do we connect to the desire of what we long to do or who we long to become? Um, As a spiritual being, I do have a lot of gifts, but I'm wondering, okay, what is the best way to help serve the collective and to be that vessel and that conduit for the divine in order to make sure that I am standing in my truth, knowing my truth, being creative, and harnessing my power. So how do we connect to that desire who we long to be or who we are to be on this world again, to be vessels for the divine. So everything is just, you know, just comes to us as, as it needs to come.
1: Thank you, Brittany. That's a great question. So I I would say, how, how do you stoke the fire of spiritual longing? that's probably another way of looking at it is how do you constantly stoke this fire of spiritual longing? Because every time you step into who you are, that longing becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Every time you step into your qualities and attributes to be of service, that longing becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. So the less and less you have material desire, the more and more the spiritual longing awakens inside of you. But the more and more the material desires grow, the less and less the spiritual longing is there and that fire becomes dampened. So you can say that material desires is like a function of the mind. Spiritual longing is a function of the heart. So the entire life journey is actually an inner pilgrimage from the mind to the heart. And so the question then becomes how do I make that pilgrimage? And so here, that's why I always emphasize that to really step into your duty and to do it properly and to do it for purpose and meaning, we call it dharma, to really step into your dharma. You have to uncover layers and layers and layers of programming that you have had in this life and past lives, right? Patterns and habits that you have carried with you for years and lives and lives. I know that if I put Brittany in a particular situation, she's gonna act in this way. If I put Antonio in a particular situation, he's going to become angry. So these are pre-programmed patterns that make you very predictable. But the moment you start to work through these patterns, that's the moment that you connect to that higher self. That's when you start to connect to your true purpose. And that's when the longing becomes more and more. And so the only way to do that, I know I'm not spoken about this in many, many uh, rooms because we've said it so many times, but just to repeat it, is you have to have a spiritual practice. Some type of spiritual practice you have to do on a consistent basis. Uh, if you don't have that, it becomes very difficult. So you have to do your spiritual practice with consistency and perseverance every day. You have to uh, try and figure out a way to serve in some way or another, whenever you have an opportunity. And you have to surround yourself with the right type of people that will help to uplift you. And if you can do these three things on a regular basis, what you'll start to notice is that you'll have much more clarity about how to do your duty properly. You'll have much more clarity about your purpose, your meaning, and ultimately your dharma but it's not like a light switch. I can't tell you, boom, do this, come to a retreat for seven days and it's done, no. It takes a lifetime. So the the journey from the mind to the heart is only 40 centimeters, but it can take an entire lifetime. So you have to put in the work. If you do the work on a daily basis, you will, I promise you, gain more and more clarity about your purpose in this life and how to do your Dharma in the best way to increase that longing inside of you more and more on a daily basis. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you.
5: Thank you. Yes, it does. Thank you, Antonio, for hosting the room. And thank you, Reishi, for answering the question. And thank you for all the speakers because everything went together. This is Brittany from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am out.
0: Brittany, beautiful question. And actually, we did a room just last week called Finding Purpose in Life. And if you head over to the Spirit Lounge and, and click on the replays, you know, we, we broke that idea down a little bit more and um, moving away from goal-oriented achievements to process and how we feel. And, and from a personal level, you know, being in that same situation is that sometimes the mystery and the unknown is part of that process of getting us to the next step that um, it is not written down super clear and we don't even, it's like a mystery puzzle. And then when we get there, we put the puzzle together and may make a little more sense. So hit up that replay um, and thank you for sharing and thank you for coming up. Dr. Tosh, we are gonna end with you tonight. You know, we've been going, we're going pretty good here in the Spirit Lounge. Um, as I said, we're having rooms about once or twice a week. Going to take some few few uh, space in between on the next week, but feel free to hit up hit up the Spirit Lounge, listen to some replays, even check out podcast link up at the top. And Doctor Tasha, I want to ask you, you know, your view on this, or if you had a question um, about you know developing a spiritual view as a way to see the world differently.
6: Hi, yes. Good evening, Antonio and Rishi. Thanks so much for having me. And I appreciate all that's been shared. And so really, uh, what touched me was the name of the room, having that uh, spiritual mirror to affect your worldview. And really, uh, my focus this year has been being intentional to develop in that area, and also uh, to align with my spiritual path, which I strongly feel is service. And so uh, you'll see on my uh, profile photo, some intentions that I set at the beginning of this year. And what I found is that uh, being able to speak these daily, whether it be quietly or audibly, definitely helps to uh, keep with the, the alignment on that path. And really uh, this process started for me five years ago. Um, and it started out really with uh, what's known as the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. And so I certainly agree that it takes time, um, you know, and that you can be intentional to put that path in front of you. And over time, uh, your worldview will shift and you'll find that you'll take this into spaces with you to be impactful for others. And just an example I'd like to share from today. Um, Earlier today, you know, there was a meeting with clients and uh, in the weeks leading to this meeting, there was some, you know, expectations in terms of what the meeting would look like um, for the customer. And the customer also has some tensions uh, surrounding them. But what I found is that, you know, being authentic, And being able to take uh, this path with me into that meeting made a difference in terms of setting the tone uh, and allowing the space for them to be natural as well as uh, grateful. And so I just really wanna emphasize having that mural to look in and laying out the path uh, can be very impactful for others too. Thanks so much for having me
0: beautiful point, Dr. Tosh, of the contagiousness um, that we can have when our spiritual mirror is very polished, very clean, and the ease that we can even portray on others. I think that's a beautiful point. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming up on stage. Rishi, I'm going to leave you a little time at the end, you know, to lead us out with any final thoughts and and some ohm, um, three ohms as well at the end, to get us kind of centered in. But I do want to say thank you guys. coming out checking out the spirit lounge listening sharing rishi always a pleasure everybody up on stage thank you very much um and and head over to the replays you know check out this room at another time at another pace and if you have a friend or someone else who may you know benefit from this kind of information feel free to share it Um, I think it's very easy to share nowadays replays from clubhouse to people who don't have it, but also the podcast link is up on the top of the uh, room here and I'm going to be uploading some more as we, as we keep on moving along. So thank you everybody again for coming out. You know, we, we, jumped into the world, the physical world of duality, changing the goods and the bads. And then kind of talked about how our own perception of these things, you know, where, where do we play? We're kind of a cork floating in this ocean and and we're going up the waves and down the waves and talked about how this, this internal view we can have, this spiritual mirror can start to help and, and adjust the joy or the peace that we see in the world. Even if, it's an, inter- in an in an internal way, as opposed to physically changing the world. So I want to thank everybody again for coming out. And Rishi, you know, always a pleasure, like I keep repeating, because it is, to have you here. And I want to leave you some space at the end. Um, if you had any final thoughts, you know, there's a lot of good questions that got brought up. I think we really stayed, we really dug deep into the topic. And I think this is a room we'll actually have to run back again. Um, but Rishi, I do want to leave the last moments for you.
1: Thank you, Antonio. It's a lovely room. It was lovely to connect with everybody. And um, yeah, it's lovely to be part of the Sangha, the community where we can help each other to uplift ourselves and consciousness. And so I would just recommend you throughout the week, <clears throat> just observe how you interact with the world. See the things that are our preferences and those that are binding and see how you can slowly transform those binding desires into preferences and that will make your life much more easy and more peaceful so with that we'll end with three homes and hope to see all of you again in the future oh
0: Thank you everyone and see you next time.